0: a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books.
1: Hey everybody, this episode of Other People is brought to you by Stitcher Smart Radio. You can hear Other People with Brad Listy. That's me. You can hear me. And this podcast while on the go with stitcher smart radio a free news and talk mobile app available for your smartphone and when you download stitcher to hear other people you have a chance to win some money downloading is quick and easy just find stitcher in the app store download it it's free it takes just a few seconds and then during registration hit the promo code box it should say tell us how you heard about stitcher and where it says that enter other people when you do that, you're automatically entered to win 100 bucks cash money. The latest episode of the show will then be waiting for you in your favorites, and you'll get access to a lot of other amazing content as well, always available on demand with no syncing. That's the Stitcher app. Go download it at stitcher.com, free of charge. Get it in the App Store. It's available for your iPhone, your Android, or your tablet computer. And don't forget to enter the promo code Other People when you register. This is an app. You can apply it. Go and get it. Oh, my God.
2: You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common.
1: Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done.
2: I think it's really beautiful. <laughs> Jesus, did it? what? A struggle, you know? It was incredible. You know, it's like your head exploded seeing
1: what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listing. Just one
0: person at just
1: one time. Right. Okay, right. everybody. Here we go again. This is it. This is other people. This is somewhat awkward at times. This is trying its best to be friendly. Thanks for being here. I'm Brad Listy. I am your host. How are you today? I'm sitting here uh, in my chair as usual in Los Angeles, California, and uh, my guest today is Chelsea Martin. She has a new book coming out from Short
0: Flight. Long Drive, a terrific independent press based in in Ann Arbor, Michigan. It is a division of Hobart Publishing. Chelsea's latest is called Even Though I Don't Miss You, and its official publication date
1: is November 1st, 2013. She and I are going to be talking in just a minute. Uh, But first, I wanted to uh, mention a fundraising drive that is currently being conducted by the uh, mellow pages library over there in brooklyn some of you guys uh, might frequent this library others of you uh, might be familiar with it uh, by way of this program and the conversation that i had a while back with matt nelson one of it uh, one of the mellow pages founders uh so basically here's the deal they're trying to raise some cash to keep the doors open that's it i just donated a few bucks and I think you should do so as well, if you don't mind me saying so. They have a campaign going
0: uh, on uh, Indiegogo.com. It's a crowdfunding site, Indiegogo.com. If you would like to donate a few dollars, just go to Indiegogo.com and search for Mellow Pages Library.
1: Uh, I'll tweet the link as well. But uh, just do this, $5, $10, bucks, 2 minutes of your life, and uh, you help a worthy cause. Otherwise, uh I've been getting a lot of mail. I feel like I'm behind on mail and uh voicemail. So uh, I got an email in regards to the previous episode number two nineteen, my conversation with Davis Schneiderman. Uh, a listener named Dimitri writes Hey Brad, this conversation is depressing the hell out of me. Davis is saying he can't read quote
0: traditional fiction And you're agreeing with him in favor of experimentalism seemingly for its own sake it makes me really sad being more interested in an author's
1: biography rather than his or her work is a really odd position i think nice to see you featuring a lot of midwestern writers lately anyhow best dimitri so uh, i got you know i got other messages along these same lines a few other messages which uh, to be honest with you i sort of expected And I I figure I should clarify uh, this particular issue. Uh, Namely, I was only expressing my personal tendencies as a reader, my current personal tendencies. Uh, I was not making any broad declarations about value, which I think I said in my conversation with Davis. Uh, More than anything, I was just trying to describe my internal experience while reading and particularly while reading fiction. Like how I, you know, when I'm reading fiction, I will often try to dissect the book or uh, decode it and figure out what is going on with the author
0: in his or her life, (laughs) which makes it difficult for me to have a fully immersive fictional experience. But, you know, on occasion I can do this.
1: If I'm reading a novel that really knocks me out, you know, I can suspend disbelief and I can go fully in. But uh, the thing is, Usually these novels are heavily autobiographical in what seems like, you know, an explicit way. So there's not as much decoding to be done. You know, and I'm not saying that these kinds of books are better or worse or that my way is good and another way is bad or vice versa. I'm just telling you what my taste is right now. and obviously it changes with time. It, you know, over the years it has evolved. I imagine it will evolve in the days to come. And uh I don't know. I don't mean to depress you. <laughs> I really don't. And I should mention that uh I did hear from some re- uh listeners who were you know, were relieved to hear uh, Davis and I talking about this stuff. You know, in the sense that they felt less strange perhaps or less alone in their proclivities. And they were happy to know, you know, that other people share their particular taste in books. I guess I have strange taste is what I'm saying. Maybe that's the case. Maybe I'm a little bit unconventional in my reading habits lately.
0: I don't know what else to say. Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. My guest today is Chelsea Martin. Her new book, which sort of defies categorization, is called Even Though I Don't Miss You. And it is available as of November 1, 2013 from Short Flight, Long Drive Books. Here she is, guys. This right here is Chelsea Martin. And her book, once again, is called Even Though I Don't Miss
1: Miss you. So I want to <laughs> ask you, I want to ask you about uh, Jamaica. Okay. Just, just because I know you just got back from there, uh, how was it? It seems, yeah. it seems like a fun place to go. I've never been.
2: Yeah, it was really great. I've never been either. Um, it, I went with Elizabeth Allen and Chloe Caldwell, um, Amy Butcher, and Amanda Goldblatt, which are all writers. So it's like a little workshop for manuscripts we're working on.
1: Oh okay, so it was kind of like a writing related adventure, so you guys all like sat around and, and read each other's stuff, or you read each other's stuff before yeah. you went.
2: Um, kind of both like we sent sent each other stuff before, but um we read it. We like continued reading it while we were there, and we had a uh, critique at the end the last day. um it was really good. It was like perfect, it was very relaxing. And beautiful and like and, i feel like
1: were you guys smoking pot down there? i mean it's jamaica.
2: Yeah, um i got, yeah, I got some pot. It wasn't it wasn't great pot. It was okay. What? I was, I was pretty disappointed actually in the pot.
1: I felt i feel like jamaica would have the best pot.
2: Yeah, i mean i know. I don't know. I didn't really know what i was doing like i just like went into like a souvenir store. Well, we were staying at a resort, so there was like nowhere on the resort that we could get weed. But we went to this town one day and like, I just asked like a souvenir shop lady, like if she had any weed. (laughs) And so it might not have, I mean, she (laughs) wasn't great quality.
1: Okay. Well, and it doesn't seem like it would be that, uh, like smoking a lot of pot and doing a writing workshop they seem like they would be at odds with one another like at least for me like i couldn't give a good critique while you know in jamaica stoned
2: <laughs> yeah well we i mean we were there for like close to a week so we had plenty of time to do it all
1: okay so what uh and everyone down there is working on fiction or i guess it does it vary
2: um yeah it, it was like different different things from everyone
1: and so what are you what, what are you working on
2: I what I gave them like a kind of a novel thing.
1: A novel thing?
2: My first my first attempt at a novel.
1: Okay. How far along are you?
2: Um I don't I mean it's hard to know. I don't really know what I'm doing writing a novel, but I feel like I'm like half halfway
1: there. Yeah, I'm right. I'm I'm writing this thing right now and I don't know what it is either. Isn't that a weird I mean it seems like you should know at least what the thing is. <laughs> but you can yeah. I can be like 40 pages into something and not even know like what the thing is. Is it a memoir? Is it a novel? Is it you know, it's completely experimental. I, I, I respond uh you know, I don't know what your novel looks like or your novel thing looks like, but your um you know, your current book even though I don't miss you Works in these short bursts. To me, it's kind of reminiscent of Lydia Davis, but uh, you know, I I respond to that. Like, I—that's the mode that I've been working in lately. And it's like almost like uh, these little things come out of me, and I don't know exactly what order they're going to go in. It's all going to be kind of figured out on the backside. Is that sort of—is that sort of how you work? I mean, do you write these things and then pare them down? And then sequence them yeah. later or do they... I mean
2: that sounds exactly like my project. Like it seems like we're working on really similar projects. I just have like these chunks of things that I'm like not worrying about order or anything, just getting these chunks together.
1: And they have to come I um, mean and for me too, like I find that at least what I mean I, I always do editing, but I find that they the writing tends to be the best when it has the most energy in it, and they kind of come out quickly and whole. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Like, when I sit there and grit my teeth and, like, struggle word by word through a sentence, the end product never feels as good as when, like, I, I feel... Uh, yeah. I don't know. I kind of have the thing to in me my...
2: it feels labored. Or, like... Not authentic, maybe.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like I'm, there's too much craft in the way instead of me just kind of saying what I want to say clearly and without adornment or unnecessary adornment. Mm-hmm. So, do you relate yeah. to that? <laughs> I'm looking.
2: Um, sort of. I mean, I feel like I work both. Like, I definitely like, like, don't work very hard. Like, I'll write a chunk and then. If it's good on its own, I'll continue, like, looking at it. And if it doesn't look good to me, I'll just throw it away immediately. Like, I don't bother working on something that doesn't come out at least kind of good, you know?
1: Right. And then do you, I mean, you also have a lot of humor in your work. And there's just, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like these, um, the bits, I mean, I don't know know what to call them, the chapters, whatever you want to call them. And even though I don't miss you. You know, there's something uh, reminiscent of joke writing in a lot of them, where they kind of feel spring-loaded, and there's that aha moment with each of them. Uh, yeah. You know, do you are you like a big fan of stand-up comedy, or do you read a lot of humor?
2: Yeah, I'm a big fan of comedy. I love it.
0: <laughs>
1: so, I mean, meaning like what? You you go to a lot of stand-up shows? Do you like listen to them, watch them? Do you study them with an eye on your own literary efforts or is it something that's just more kind of, uh, I don't know, peripheral or, or less, uh, I don't know, focused or, you know what I'm saying? Like you're just kind of a fan yeah. of it and then it shows up in your work later in a more organic way or is it something that you explicitly set out to pull from in a structured way?
2: Mm, I think it's like all of that. I mean, I I like stand comedy and like, um comedy writing for just for entertainment, but I have like looked closer at things when they when I feel like they're working really well
1: like what like who are some of your favorite stand ups and then what have you wound up looking at more closely
2: um well, I just have you seen that show by Mike barbiglia that's like my girlfriend's boyfriend
1: no uh-uh. like a- but I've heard a lot of his stuff on this American life like.
2: Yeah, he's really good, but this show is, like, amazing to me. I feel like it's the perfect—it's, like, a cross between a stand-up comedy show and, like, just, like, a novel, maybe, or, like—it's, like, half serious, half really funny.
1: What's it called? And he's
2: um, my girlfriend's boyfriend.
1: Okay, yeah, because, like, you know, he does a very unique kind of comedy that I think is actually really hard. Like, he's actually not writing jokes— in kind of like the setup, setup punchline way, he does these really long yeah. narrative pieces that are hysterical, but also, yeah. but also yeah. like rooted in all sorts of pain and <laughs> awfulness. Um, but totally. that's, that gives him—I don't know—I I love that kind of comedy. You know, where there's that that kind of undertow of uh, you know real pathos.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes it funnier if you like know where it's coming from
1: more. Yeah, well, funnier and more meaningful. I don't know. I yeah. find I find that sort of comedy. A little bit stickier, you know, like I, I can remember it better than maybe I can remember jokes. I always forget jokes and maybe that's the, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, so, okay, okay. So do you have, um, you know, you seem quiet, uh, a little reserved. I could be, you know, maybe you're different when you're talking to somebody yeah. that you know better, but, um, I'm wondering with all this, you know, comedic, uh, with the comedic aspect, uh, to your work and also your fandom, you know, like, do you have uh, a performative bent? Like, are you somebody who is really funny in front of a microphone? Or are you somebody who has uh, dreams of one day creating a show like Microbiglia has done? And <laughs> take- no, no,
2: no, no. No? Absolutely not. I hate being in front of people. I hate doing readings. Okay. I hate are, it. Are you shy? I would never. Uh, yeah.
1: You are. Okay. I have. I want to talk about shyness, Okay. Because okay. I can feel shy, believe it or not <laughs> um, it 's like this is why I do a podcast i 'm just in a microphone you know there 's some con- there 's a control aspect to being on uh, on a radio you know you 're sort of invisible, but your, your voice is there it 's like it 's like a disembodied voice type thing in a controlled environment so uh, i 've right. thought about that, and then I think about shyness, and I want to say like I, I wish I could point to it, but I read somewhere once where uh, someone was arguing that shyness is a form of egotism. And it's like, when you say you're shy, it's actually a way of like, or if you behave shyly in a group of people, it's almost a way of trying to draw attention to yourself or, I don't know.
2: Well, or or like that you think so highly of yourself that everything you say is like super important to other people and that you can't make a mistake because they'll see, like, I don't know. Right. Like spend time thinking about what a moron you are.
1: Right. You're so like, yeah, you're so wrapped up in your own head and like worried about what people are thinking of you. And the truth is that they're not thinking of you at all.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, uh, does that help? I mean, knowing that and being aware of that, that doesn't help you alleviate your shyness or care less? Like, where do you, like, how do you define your shyness? Um,
2: I mean, I don't think about it a whole lot. I feel like I'm, I like accept it and it's just fine with me if I'm shy. I'm not. I mean, there are times when I'm not shy. Like when? Like, um, I don't know. Just sometimes randomly. I'm so great. So great.
1: Socially. What about do you do? You, do you drink to excess?
2: Do so I drink what?
1: I said, do you drink to excess? Um.
2: Yeah.
1: Does that? Okay. I mean, does that? Do you become? Do you come out of your shell in that instance? I guess so. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm. Mean, I'm just because I have friends. So like, who are uh, particularly shy, and what I found about like re- my reserved friends um, growing up is that like you know obviously alcohol is uh, you know, a common elixir, but I also found that these people tended to gravitate more towards speedy drugs that facilitated conversation. Whereas like somebody like me who can be verbal or even like maybe hyper verbal at times, um, like that's it's the opposite for me. Like I just want to relax. <laughs> yeah um do you know do you understand what i'm saying am i like is that an accurate uh, assessment of you or are you somebody who just kind of wants to uh calm down
2: um by drinking um i mean i i do i do both things i like love drinking i drink like every day basically
1: oh you do um
2: yeah not to excess like i'll have like a drink every night. Um, just to like, I don't know, just, I think it's fun and cool.
1: <laughs> what kind of, dr- I mean, like you, you'll have like a cocktail out like on the town or you sit at home and you
2: No, like just at home, like just like finishing up stuff I'm doing and like, or watching TV or something.
1: Right. I see. I have, Should I, I have usually, a- I usually have a glass of wine, uh, which, yeah. I, which I find nice, but I worry now that I'm a parent that doing that every single day is kind of ritual, I don't know. It, like, you, you can... I don't know. Do you have children or anything? No. Okay. Well, I just... You
2: worried that they'll see you drinking
1: and... Yeah. It's just like, I just feel more conscious of my behavior, you know, because it's not that, like, having a glass of wine at night is in and of itself a bad thing, uh, because I don't have a, an addictive personality. Like, I'm lucky in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, you know, I don't want more than one or two. Like, two is my maximum. Uh I'm just too old, you know. I can't. I get hungover if I have three glasses yeah.
2: of wine, um,
1: and I can't tolerate that. I don't have time for it. So um, it's not. It's not that that's an issue for me. But I, you know, I don't know. For example, if my, you know, maybe my daughter could have like that particular genetic uh, bad luck, and then because she saw me drinking, it was somehow like I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it could potentially affect yeah. her. So I feel more conscious. But it could of-
2: also. It can also show her that it's like it can. She can do she can drink and it's healthy and like fine and not
1: a big deal. Right. It makes like, I love to think of like, you know, European culture where they have like a glass of like wine at lunch and it's, you know, you know how like Americans can uh, fixate on those kinds of things culturally and be like, see, we need to, we need to be more relaxed and permissive. So I go back and forth. I think like ultimately what I would like to be able to do is just, you know, have uh, a glass of wine or two, like three days a week and the other four days just like, you know, do something else, go for a walk or something. <laughs> uh, yeah i don't know i'm i'm very self critical but uh anyhow so you 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 are a visual artist, you sometimes sew uh clothing and then you write, and your writing uh is uh, for people who are not familiar with it or at least are not familiar with this particular book uh is very confessional it's often very funny, but it's also sort of heartbreaking like you're really open and honest about things. Um, I'm interested in this kind of writing because, uh, I find my, I find myself searching whenever I'm reading books for things that actually move me and your writing does that. Like, I feel like, okay, this is a uh, pretty raw stuff. And I guess what I want to know is like, to achieve that effect, did you, is there artifice involved? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you conceive of it? Because... When you read this work or when you were working on it and editing it and tweaking it, did you ever find yourself doing things to it that maybe made it less true than it actually was when it was happening? Like do you get it what I'm saying?
2: Um yeah, it I mean, there's a lot of fiction to it. It's not like it's not just a confessional, like I would say it's mostly fiction. Really? Mhm. I mean, it's mostly based in Stuff I've felt or happened to me, but it's so like pieced together over so many things and okay. changed so many things that it's not—it's like not recognizable at all. It doesn't match anything.
1: Okay, so how would you even? Because I was thinking about this book from a categorical standpoint. Like, how would you even categorize it? Do you do you see it, see it as a novel, or do you see it as a work of uh, collected poetry, like prose poetry, memoir?
2: I don't know. I'm I like. Struggle with that. I have talked a lot about it. I don't know what to call it. I, th- I see it as one piece, for sure.
1: Like, like, is it a um, a monologue? <laughs> or yeah, uh,
2: maybe it's something. Yeah, maybe
1: it's. Well, because like, I, I don't know. We know it comes to mind for me. Like, just with uh, my recent history, my recent reading history in mind, is the J.D. Salinger biography by Shane Salerno and David Shields that accompanied the documentary film. And somebody in the book uh, was talking about The Catcher in the Rye and described it as essentially um, – I, I, what is a soliloquy? I, I don't want to misuse that word. A, a monologue. Like it's a talk yeah. – like, like there's uh, – you know, Holden's voice is so distinct and it, re- yeah. it really has like a very strong conversational feel. And the whole book is essentially like a, a, a vocal performance. Uh, you know, by him, where he's talking at you. And um, that made some sense to me, you know, both in terms of how to, like, think of the book and also um, how to conceive of its appeal. Like, is that something that you're going for? You know, trying to kind of, Uh, I don't know, trying to kind of, uh, you know, write a book that could potentially be spoken as one long piece? uh, I
2: think, I do think about, like, having to read things when I'm writing when I'm writing it or, like, trying to write it so that if I spoke it, then it would sound natural and not, like, spilted or, like, really literary. I do think about that. Do you read a lot? I'm not sure what – I'm not sure what you mean by the catcher in the thing because isn't – like, every book has, like, a voice.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's like there's the authorial voice, but Holden's voice is particularly conversational, first-person – and, um,
2: but does that change the category?
1: I don't know. Categories are, you know, they become uh, problematic in their own way. I was just trying to like, it just made the book make more sense to me. I just thought that the, that way of thinking about it clarified something about it for me, both in terms of like uh, how Salinger might have conceived of it and then also why it's so appealing, you know? Um, yeah. I, because it really is this like sustained vocal performance by the narrator, you know? Um,
2: right. Yeah.
1: I don't know. In in ways that like maybe books that are written in the third person aren't or books that are written in a different way in the first person aren't. So um anyhow, uh when you're writing your work and you are, you know, giving some thought and attention to the idea of reading it aloud at a later date, like are you somebody who writes it and then says like speaks it aloud or reads it aloud to yourself to figure out if it's right?
2: No, I don't do that. Probably should do that, but I don't
1: okay. do it. Um, and so, uh, how did you get into writing? Like, I mean, is this something that you've done, uh, you know, all your life? Is it something that you kind of came to in your adult life?
2: Um, I guess I was, I mean, I first started writing stories in college or, I mean, I've written my whole life, but I've never like thought about it. But when I was in college, I had some really good writing classes and.
1: Where'd you go to school? Um,
2: I went to the school at California College of the Arts.
1: And is that San Francisco?
2: Yeah, San Francisco and Oakland. Okay. Um, and so I guess that's when I first, like, started seriously working on, like, writing.
1: And do you, do you, per- do you conceive of uh, making a living from your written work? I mean, there's a great line in the book, and I'm going to be paraphrasing it because I don't have it open to that page, but... You know, you basically, uh, unless this is fiction, you, you basically come out and say like, I want to make a lot of money from my creative work and I want to be famous. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, yeah, no, yeah, that's definitely a goal. I feel like I'm really trying to, um, do
1: that. Okay. So how do you see it happening? Like if I, cause you, I mean, if, you, if, if you're willing to come clean, uh, that much, which I find admirable because I think a lot of people sort of skate around that, but you're pretty blunt about it. Um. If you if you know if you're thinking I want to be famous and I want to make a lot of money for my creative work, and I'm a visual artist and a writer, who sometimes sews, um, <laughs> I like it. See, I think that's you know that that puts a unique spin on things. But uh, do you think uh, do you think to yourself it's going to be uh, some sort of hybrid situation, or is there one of these pursuits that you think is going to be your ticket and that you're focused most you know focusing most of your energies on or
2: I feel like I'm like doing all of these different things, and then if one of them makes me money, then I'll just go that direction and that's like it. I feel open I feel open to doing i don't know i mean all I'm very happy writing, very happy doing art. I would do either of those things like for full time you know. I would
1: do that. Okay. So, no, because this is another, this poses another question that sort of vexes me a little bit. It's like, you know, you, I, cause I have a similar feeling, you know, like I love to write, I like to do this show. Um, there are multiple things I like to, do. I like to edit my site. I like to edit books. I, you know, there, mm-hmm. there are many different ways for me to express myself creatively. And if one of them, uh, becomes like a predominant, Source of income, then obviously uh, by virtue of necessity, it would get a majority of my attention. Uh, Yeah. But I think that uh, I sometimes worry that without choosing and pouring like, you know, all of my focus into one thing and just hammering away at that, that I might be spreading myself too thin and potentially preventing myself from being being successful. Like, you know, uh, what is it? A jack of all trades, master of none. Do you ever have that concern?
2: Yeah, I think about that all the time because I do like I do. I am stretched for time, like in all areas, and no matter what I'm doing, I feel guilty about not spending time doing the other thing. So, yeah, and I think about that all the time. But I, I don't know. I mean,
1: but you know, you know, you know what? I, you know what I think I want, and I think maybe you want too, is you kind of want somebody else to choose for you. If somebody would just point to you and just say. Chelsea, we love your work and we want you to write books for us and we're going to pay you lots of money, <laughs> like, then yeah. the, the decision would be made or with the, you know, the cartoon or the visual art or whatever, um, you know, it would make yeah. it, a, make it a lot easier if the world just sort of sorted it out for you. And that does happen, yeah. you know, sometimes certain talents emerge and I was listening to a a, a podcast interview on a WTF with, uh, Bill Hader, uh, the guy from Saturday hmm. Night Live, you know him? Yeah.
2: Yeah,
1: and he was like, you know, he was like a PA in Los Angeles and, you know, loved the movies and was just like driving celebrities around and sitting around on film sets doing grunt work. And then he started doing this, uh, you know, kind of for fun with his buddies, started doing this improv thing. And it was like his talent just got noticed. (laughs) You know, like it's always fascinating to me the stories of people's successes and, you know, how much random luck there seems to be involved, but also just this element of, kind of pure raw talent. You know, the guy is such a good impressionist and it's so clear. Uh It must've been so obvious, you know, But or maybe, maybe not. Maybe the fact that he got the opportunity, you know, gave him the boost of confidence that he needed, or maybe he rose to the occasion because suddenly he's on SNL. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, do you ever, do you ever think about your artistic career and wonder if you have enough talent? Mm -hmm.
2: Um, Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I don't, I mean, at this point, I'm just doing what I want to do. Like, I feel I'm doing all these different things because I like doing all these different things. And I'm not, like, that concerned with how good I'm getting at one or the other.
1: You're really not?
2: Um... I don't think so. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like I'm losing out on, on like talent that I could be getting by, by working on something else. I feel, I feel like they all feed each other too.
1: So do you have, I mean, you have confidence in what you're doing. Would you say that? Like, are you confident artist? Do you have, do you have, are you plagued by self-doubt or are you somebody who can just sit down and do the work and not be bothered by such thoughts or at least not for long?
2: Um, No, I definitely have a lot of self-doubt and I hate everything I make always, but I don't like, I feel like I'm just okay with that. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like it's just like, I don't
1: know. Uh, It's a normal part of it. I think, but I mean, I think that might be the, a common denominator for people who are successful in the creative arts is that they're willing to fail and they're okay with it. You know, and you yeah. you just kind of uh, keep going, and eventually something connects.
2: Yeah,
1: I don't uh, know. So, okay, so where are you from originally?
2: Um, I grew up a couple hours north of Oakland, um, in California, in a place called Clear Lake. It's a small town. Um,
1: sounds be- Is it beautiful? beautiful. It sounds beautiful
2: it's beautiful yeah it's um it's like beautiful on the outside and like really ugly on the inside
1: (laughs) as are so many things uh so like uh, only child brother sisters happy family Uh,
2: i have a little brother and a little sister they're both in high school right now
1: and how may i ask how old you are i know i'm never supposed to ask that but you're you in your 20s Mm -hmm. we ballpark okay um so you have young so they're younger that's significantly younger
2: mm-hmm.
1: okay so you you grew up in basically you know almost like an only child or at least you were an only child until you were in close to junior high right yeah it's
2: a kind of a like a half only child
1: okay and then uh clear lake is what like a mountain is it a mountain town forgive me for not knowing the geography or the topography as well as i should but like what's the
2: um it's uh it's like by a giant lake
1: okay well that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> Since it's called Clear Lake,
2: yeah, it's just it's like a, it's kind of like a valley in the in the middle of like mountains and
1: stuff. How many people are we talking? Like, is this like a thousand people or twenty five thousand or?
2: Um, it's I don't know the exact figure. I would say like twenty thousand
1: probably. Okay. And what do your parents? What, like, you, what do your parents do up in Clear Lake?
2: Um, my mom is currently a cosmetologist, but she's done, like, a million things growing up. She was always hustling. She has, like, an environmental science degree, and she was a teacher for a while, and, um, so that's, that's it. And, um, she's a single mom.
1: Oh, she is. Okay. And when, was your dad not present growing up? Yeah. Yeah, he was present, or yeah, he wasn't. Around. Uh,
2: he was not. He was not present. My mom got remarried, and that's uh, and she had like my brother and sister uh, when I was older. Okay. Um. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, uh, like, creatively, do you have a sense of where you you get it from? Like, were you? I mean, is this something that you were encouraged to do as a child? You know, it's like I, I imagine it was in. You know, your your mom could sense that you were headed in this direction. From a somewhat early age?
2: Um. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely like free to do whatever I wanted. I didn't, I don't know. I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was necessarily encouraged, but like.
1: You weren't
0: discouraged?
2: I was, yeah, it was just, it was like, whatever, do like, whatever you want. I don't know. My teachers really encouraged me. I was always like praised by my teachers for being really
1: artistic. Okay, and so.
2: But, probably
1: helped me did you like, have was, was it was it was your mother pretty permissive uh you know did you did you have a yeah. lot of, you had a lot of freedom as a kid yeah she was like overly
2: permissive is she a, she like a hippie a no she's not
1: a hippie. i don't know northern california it seems like there might. my
2: she's like she's like a punk rocker when she was young she's she's like pretty young um and she was like really cool, and she was a teenager, and I think she's just like I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, she's very permissive. I got away with everything.
1: And could you just tell her like what you were doing as opposed to having to hide stuff, or did you just like not talk about?
2: it? <laughs> yeah, I just I wouldn't talk about it. I mean, I I could have talked to her about stuff, but I I just like didn't want to go there. I guess it was
1: just. Okay. You know. And so, what kind of kid were you? Like, were you? Uh, like a good student, bratty? Were you? Uh, I don't know. Quiet? I guess.
2: Um, as a kid, I yeah, I was always a good student. I I don't know.
1: I was. Well, because the thing is, is that sometimes I feel like you have, uh, you know, you you grow up in a in a house where the parent, you know, the parents are. Uh, more restrictive or conventional or whatever and then you you kind of rebel against that and then there's the uh, the the other way it can sometimes turn where the parent is really permissive and in response the kid is like searching for structure and is really on top of things and you know getting good grades and doing the grocery shopping in 4th grade or whatever it is is so, that is that you <laughs>
2: um no i mean i was just a normal kid i don't i don't i don't know I feel like it didn't affect me that much that she was really permissive. I feel like she, I didn't really do any. As a kid, I didn't like get into trouble. I just like wanted to play outside and like do normal kid stuff.
1: Okay, and you have, and you weren't in contact with your dad at all.
2: No, I met him when I was seventeen, but I didn't. I like didn't even think about him when I was a kid.
1: Oh, wow. So what was meeting him, like, at 17, like, for the first time?
2: Um, It was super weird.
1: It was, like, really weird. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, it's,
2: like, a really, it's a really, I mean, I may have been 16, actually. It was, like, a really weird age to, like, deal with that. I'm, it's already such a self-conscious, like, horrible place to be in life.
1: Right, right. When, where, and where, where's he at? May I ask? Is he like, was he nearby or did he?
2: Um, at the, uh, he's in LA.
1: Oh, yes, Okay. So we could hang out.
2: Like, yeah,
1: I, <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. Well, that's interesting. You know, I had a friend who, uh, met his, like met his birth mother for the first time when we were like in our early 20s. And I was sort yeah. of, I was living with him at the time and I was sort of privy to that whole process and it sort of blew my mind, you know, like, like they met at a restaurant in New York, you know, <laughs> uh, weird. and they looked exactly alike. And so it was, it was just like this stunning moment for did, him.
2: What, did, was he searching for her?
1: Um, you know, it's like this really, it was this really weird, uh, situation where I think he had all, you know, he had always kind of known who she was. He was raised in some sort of, uh, I think it was a cult. It was like some sort of group living situation, like really high intellectual, you know, multiple parents with each child, you know, child. And then his adopted mother wound up taking him out of that scenario. She was in it and she decided it was bad and then adopted him and removed him from it. And so, you know, it's, I don't know, I'm probably getting the facts wrong, but anyway, um, I just remember very vividly that, you know, him, uh, writing to me and telling me about what what had been going on and the actual meeting moment. Um, you know, it's just sort of, it's just so surreal.
2: Yeah. It's, yeah, it's really
1: weird. So do you, I mean, do you guys keep in touch at all? Like, do you have any kind of relationship?
2: <clears throat> um, no, not anymore. We, I like tried to have a relationship, but it didn't like work. It
1: didn't yeah. work out. Yeah. Well, you know, it's hard. I mean, especially if you're starting that late, um, and, yeah. You know, you can't force it.
2: Yeah, it's just a weird thing to like try to. It's just a confusing relationship because it's like you can never really be a parent when you're starting that late. But it's like not really like a friend situation. It's like
1: right, right. Yeah, exactly. You, you can't just really ju- you can't ju- you can't just jump in and start like giving advice on like college applications or something. <laughs> Um, okay. So, and have you written about that at all? Uh, Forgive me if, if you have, and I don't know.
2: Um, I've written, I've written about it a lot, but I don't, I haven't published anything else on it. Okay. I
1: don't know. I I would like to read that Chelsea Martin book or something to that effect. Um, like an essay or something. It seems like there would be a lot to mine there.
2: Yeah. It's kind of a sore subject, honestly. It's like, I kind of don't know if I want to go there.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this is, this brings up another interesting like writerly question because, you know, I say that it's easier for me to say that from the outside looking in, you know, because it's this, you know, really difficult emotional terrain and it makes for good, you know, that kind of thing makes for good literature a lot of the time. And I think right. I, I've sort of been told whether it's in writing classes or in books or, you know, conversations with writer friends that, you know, you're supposed to kind of go where the fear is and that's where the best writing tends to be generated. Like, I think there's some truth to that. Yeah. And, and so I, I have shit in my life that's happened that I have not written about explicitly that is sort of been tormenting me for, you know, the better part of the last seven years, you know, how to write about it, what to say about it. Is there anything new that I could add to the subject? Um, what's the point, etc. And, you know, all of these kinds of, uh, I don't know. All the all this waffling and all of this uh, confusion might be me trying to kind of dance around it somehow, or maybe it's just not. Yeah. Maybe it's just not necessary. Like, do you wrestle with those things? Like, this has got to be something in your life that artistically you want to address, but maybe mm-hmm. you don't know in quite what form yet. Or do you know what I'm saying?
2: I mean, I I feel like the main obstacle is like, if I publish something about it, then I have to like deal with. This other people thinking about it or like other people involved like having to deal with it and i don't know it's just a lot to like do to do to people
1: well right i mean it's like that's the thing it's like how much privacy do we reserve for ourselves as artists um you know isn't it especially i guess if you're a memoirist you sort of have to be willing to stand naked in public
2: um, yeah, I mean it's one thing to put your own dirty laundry on the table, but like, I feel like stories about like childhood or or, or like stuff involving people that you still care about is just too much. It's a lot. I don't. How, I don't know how people do it.
1: Well, lots of therapy <laughs> or. I don't know. Maybe, you know, the thing about it, because I had that concern when I published my novel that like people who were in the book and who were sort of thinly veiled characters or like there was a character in the book um, uh, called Uncle Brian, who's a mentally disabled man. I have a mentally disabled Uncle Brian. So there was like a direct line, you know, like the, some of the stuff yeah. was just, there was just no, um, hardly any barrier at all. And Did
2: you get shit for
1: it? No, I didn't. I mean, no, not to my face anyway. And I kind of expected that I would. I didn't have, you know, the character was lovable in the book. I didn't do anything unnatural with the character and it, and it was pure fictionalization. You know, Like the, I wasn't drawing on anything actual. I just used his name. Mm. Um, mm. And so it was more of like a loving tribute than it was like an, an exposure. But even, right. even so you get concerned, you know, especially, you know, when it's family, you worry, but like people thought it was great, you know? And, and, uh, I mean, for, you know, what are they going to say to your face? So I guess what I'm trying to tell you is that like, there's a good chance that people, if they hate it, won't tell you to your face.
2: That's <laughs> uh, a comfort. Yeah.
1: They'll just, they'll completely, they'll just jabber about you behind your back. <laughs> just harbor their resentment quietly. Oh,
2: good. Okay. I'll do it.
1: Yeah. I don't know, you know, and and the thing is, is that I don't, I guess that you just have to sort of define your own terms, you know, there's not any kind of rule book about how you have to be as an artist, but I find myself often admiring artists who are, or who find a way to be the most open about the most painful stuff in their life, or the most, you know, who find a way to sort of untangle the ball of yarn that bothers them the most, you know, and, right, yeah. um, uh, you know, to go back to like Mike Birbiglia or to go to like com- comedians are great at that, you know, comedians, that's, it's almost what they do by definition is to sort of, yeah, you know, alchemize their pain. Um, you know, though I guess some comedians are, you know, kind of goofier and jokier than others, but they don't necessarily tug at your heartstrings in the same way or, uh, they don't make me laugh as much, but yeah. So I guess we'll just have to see. Maybe, you know, maybe it'll happen later. Maybe it's just a function of time. Like, I think sometimes these things need to incubate and...
2: Right. Yeah, uh, I think so, too. I don't know. It's hard to to know, though.
1: Yeah. So, uh, okay. So you went to the California... What is it called? California Uh, College College of the Arts? College of the Arts. Yeah. Okay. Um, And that's like a pretty... uh, I don't want to overuse the word hippie, but that's like a pretty... uh, I mean, I don't know. I remember looking at that when I was in when I was in college and being and I went to Boulder and I, I remember being like wow that's like really out there compared to Boulder and Boulder's pretty out there like what was the envi- uh, what was the environment like you know were, like were there grades you know or just-
2: um, yeah there were grades I mean I feel like it was maybe it changed um, it used to be California College of Arts and Crafts and they dropped the crafts off. Uh, off of the end, so maybe they were making some kind of effort to get away from that reputation mm. of being like hippies, hippie hippy land. Right, but it was—I mean, it was—it
1: was okay, school. And by the way, hippie carries like a negative connotation in a way that I feel is some, somewhat unfair. Um, like yeah. you, you mentioned, I mean, I think so. you, you mentioned that your mom is a punk rocker, or was a punk yeah. rocker as a child. If you were into punk, that like in, like in among the intellectual classes, I think distinguishes you in a positive way. Whereas if you were a hippie, people just think you were a jackass. (laughs) Um, No one wants to, no one wants to cop to have been, you know, to being a hippie, but they're, they're proud to somehow say that they were in the punk scene, like throwing elbows, you know, in the pit.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, both are retarded. I don't know, but I mean, hippie also sounds like old. Hippie sounds like from the sixties.
1: Right, and your mom is is younger. How old? I mean, is she in, what, her 40s? Yeah, she's in her 40s. Okay. Um. All right, so you were there, you were drawing, you were starting to write, Um. and then you graduate, and in the intervening seven years, like, what have you been up to? I mean, obviously, you've been publishing books, but, like, is this how you make your living?
2: No, I was working. Um. I'm unemployed right now, but I was working... Um working all the time before right now um,
1: and doing, just doing what
2: just like admin stuff oh, okay different places nothing nothing artistic but uh but my jobs were generally like pretty low key and I had a lot of time to be to do stuff on my own <laughs> and I mean I don't have like a very expensive lifestyle so
1: So you can get by, but are you worried now that you're not working? Like, or do do you have some time to sort of float, or is it kind of like a, is there quiet panic (laughs) happening?
2: Um, I'm on unemployment, so it's like fine
1: right now. Okay,
2: but I am worried about finding a job.
1: What would you? What would the ideal? I mean, aside from writing and making your living, drawing cartoons or whatever. Like, is there a job that you wish you could have? Like, do you harbor any? um, hopes or dreams involving the movies or I don't know. Do you,
2: um, I kind of think like I wouldn't want a creative job that like I wasn't passionate about. Like I wouldn't want to write for something else that wasn't like my thing
1: or just something that something else that you kind of like thought sucked.
2: Yeah, definitely, definitely not. I, or even if I just thought it was okay, I feel like it would just be so draining. And
1: you're like, you're like, I, if, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna have my creative energies drained, it's not gonna be by a shitty television show. It's gonna be by like a large corporate bank or something <laughs> completely, you know, completely awful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, right. I think about I think about like T. S. Eliot. Uh, he worked at a bank his whole life. You know, uh, there are a lot oh, of yeah. there's like a lot of writers. Uh, I guess especially poets, you know, because poetry is so like completely impossible to make a living at. But there was like some sort of BuzzFeed list or, you know, something I was reading online not too long ago talking about this very thing with like writers and their day jobs. And I think it does make sense if you're a creative person, you know, the, the you know, instinctively maybe people would think like, oh, you should go work in a creative field if you're creative and that would somehow feed your, your other creative work. But um, maybe it's better to be working in something completely removed from it and, you know, yeah. or something that doesn't require, require much of that part of you, you know?
2: Yeah. Or just that feed some, some other part. I don't know. I actually really love admin. I could do that. I feel like that's maybe ideal, like working at admin and like with people that I like.
1: Like what does admin mean? Like what, what does that actually entail?
2: Like... You know, billing and like making invoices and organizing spreadsheets, and just, all that stuff.
1: Yeah, well, that that makes sense. I mean, it's like it doesn't take up. I mean, it takes up a, some energy, but not the same kind of energy that it maybe takes to.
2: Yeah, it's like a totally different part of your brain, it's just like organizing data.
1: Well, and, and do you get something from work, just work, being around people and being in an office environment? Like, does that get you outside of your head a little bit? Uh, because I think sometimes, uh, for me anyway, like having too much time to work creatively can uh, sometimes be a hindrance.
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm experiencing that now. It's just an endless expanse of time on my hands. It's really weird.
1: You're like, I'm getting nothing done.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have like weird fluctu- like i get a lot done one week and then the next week i'm like that have no productivity what for what seems like no reason <laughs> just like can't can't be creative 100 percent of the time it's like impossible
1: yeah i think i mean i don't know i think that there's something to be said about having uh like restrictions limitations of time you know having to kind of yeah having to kind work of
2: around something
1: yeah work around something um I don't know. I, I was just thinking of having one hand tied behind my back, but I don't know if that's the right metaphor, but you know what I'm saying. Like, I think like yeah. the, it, when you have all the time in the world, it, like the, the task can sometimes be a little bit overwhelming. Whereas when, you know, you only have an hour, then it's like, okay, I got a paragraph done. That's okay. You know, like I just had an hour.
2: Yeah. And you're like excited about this hour you have. You're like, I have an hour.
1: Right.
2: <laughs> I'm going to do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so are you uh, going to stay in Northern California? I mean, that's sort of your home turf. Is San Francisco it? Or do you do you want to move to New York and try to, like, do the Brooklyn thing? Or
2: uh, I don't know. I really do want to get out of the Bay Area. I've been here forever. Um, but I don't know where I would go. I don't
1: know. You have no idea? I don't, I'm
2: not really interested in New York. I don't think I would move there.
1: So, okay. So but, come on, you have to have thought about it. Where would you go? At, oh, or, like, where, where might you go?
2: I feel like I'm attracted to, like, the Midwest or, like, I don't know. I mean, it sounds shitty, too. I don't know what I want. <laughs> I, you know. I feel like I just want, like, something totally different than the Bay Area.
1: Right. Chicago's a great city.
2: Yeah. Actually, I, I like Chicago.
1: wonderful i just i mean the winters are bleak but there's something wrong with everywhere you know it's a you just sort of wherever you go there's going to be something to pick at and i I think in chicago it's just you know the middle of february when it's like 20 below that's when it probably (laughs) gets a little bit onerous (laughs) and like the sky is the color of just like you know steel
2: did you live in chicago
1: no but i grew up in milwaukee and indiana Mm -hmm. so you know my sister lives there i i get it you know that that's my neck of the woods, the Midwest, at least, at least it was when I was a kid. So, and I just remember like when spring break rolled around and like we would go to Florida or something, uh, or, Uh or just the weather, like those early spring days where it finally starts to warm up and like the sun comes out, like it's so glorious because you're like, you're so desperate for just like sunshine, uh, in a way that I have, I mean, now that I live in Los Angeles, you just don't deal with that at all. You know, it's the complete opposite. Like when it rains, it feels like, Charming, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. Well, yeah. I don't know. I feel like, and I feel like, maybe in Chicago, I, th- I think there's something to be said for avoiding like the large cultural hubs um, sometimes because you go to places where there's maybe more room and there's not as m- there's not as much crowding, like. You know, I talked to uh, Lauren Grodstein on this show a few episodes ago, and she moved out of Brooklyn and, uh, you know, into downstate New Jersey, kind of almost, a, I guess, a suburb of Philadelphia. And, you know, when she left that, like, cluster of or that hive of writers in Brooklyn, it was a, kind of a freeing experience because, you know, it can get a little overwhelming when everybody around you is trying to be an artist and, you know. I yeah. Don't, I don't know. It can make the mountains seem bigger or it can just be annoying. <laughs>
2: Yeah, is definitely. That,
1: is that the scene up in? I mean, in the Bay Area, it seems like it's mostly people trying to like create apps and stuff. I mean, I know there's a lot of artists, but do you do you have a sense of, you know, there being too much concentration up there, or does the tech stuff sort of overwhelm it?
2: Um, I mean, I don't, I don't really notice the tech stuff. I feel like I'm not in that world at all. I never see it. Um, I and mean, there's a lot of artists and like creative people, but it's like very relaxed up here. I don't – feel like it's a little more rigorous in L.A. probably, like an art scene. Well, it's just like – it's just like California people, you know. They're just – it's like exactly like their reputation. It's just like people like kind of make an art, like gonna get a little gallery show maybe.
1: Yeah, it's okay. So speaking of your own uh, visual art, I know you do the comic, but do you also make like the pieces on canvas and like try to show them places like that?
2: No, no, I don't do any of that.
0: Okay,
1: so you're a comic artist exclusively when it comes to the visual arts?
2: Um, I mean, I think the comic I'm making is the first time I've ever made a comic. I don't don't really consider myself
1: a comic artist. Did you do the cover for your book? Yeah. You did, okay. So it's like kind of collage? Oh, yeah,
2: that's a collage. Um... But I did. Our. I studied illustration in school, so I guess I would say that that's like my interest.
1: Is being like, in a, like children's books or like. A...
2: Like illustration, meaning just like images that go with text,
1: basically. Okay. Like
2: of some kind, and not necessarily for any kind of show or like looking at by by themselves.
1: Could you draw me if i like if I sat for you, could you draw like a a reasonable facsimile of me?
2: Well, I mean, look okay, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Be>
1: okay. <laughs> um I'm fascinated by that that you know that talent people who can actually you know look at something and then reproduce it
2: yeah I am too i mean i'm not I'm not so good at that I don't, I don't really think I'm like that talented of a of a for her, but I know
1: some people that are really, really good at it, and it's pretty cool. Uh, okay. So what... Uh, I, I guess we already talked about what your next book is. like. Is it, It's this thing. Uh, do you... Like, when you look at your... When you think about your career long-term, or at least your writing life long-term, um, do you feel like you're working in the direction of fiction? Like, is that your aspiration, is to try to write novels exclusively, or is it... Mm-hmm. Is is it as undefined as the book you're currently working on?
2: I think I'm. I feel really open about like I'm not going to give myself a direction. I I think I would do whatever I felt like doing at the time. I'm not even committed to the idea of of writing books forever.
1: So who I mean? So who are some of your artistic heroes? Whether it's literary or th- or otherwise? Like I know we mentioned Mike Buriglia earlier, but like if you had to- You know, to point to people. I Don't mean to put you on the spot because these kinds of (laughs) questions—they always. Yeah, I I know, but I'm specifically because, you know, you don't have the kind of like you know monomaniacal, uh, really channeled approach that some writers do. Um, You know, are you you're drawing influences from different places? Are there people who are working in kind of a hybridized way that you really admire, or people from realms that might be uh, surprising? To people um, that you really find uh, instructive or inspirational
2: Um, I don't I don't really know how to answer this I don't think I like look for work that is like mine like my own or like
0: that I want to be inspired
2: by I feel like I look to work that is like I really love like science books and
1: like I don't, like textbooks or books like about popular science,
2: like pop science, like yeah,
1: like so give me give me an example. Is there an example?
2: Like Stephen Pinker, I'm really into Steven Pinker and Richard Dawkins, which is like, I don't I don't know how like I could be inspired by their career or whatever, but I'm really into it, much more so than I'm into like reading
1: poetry. But you read poetry in the bathroom, according to your book. I remember reading that.
2: According to my book.
1: According, But it's all fiction.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I read poetry, too.
1: And so are there contemporary writers of fiction that you really admire?
2: Um, God, I really don't want to answer this. I don't, I don't want to name drop.
1: <laughs> you don't? Come on, name drop. No, you don't want to. I don't want to. I'm not asking you to tell uh, you know uh, stories about them. Just, do you, whose work do you like?
2: I don't want
1: to. Why? Why don't you want to? I just don't
2: want. I just feel like that's very personal.
1: Like who you who you like? You you feel like the the contemporary writers whom you admire is a personal issue.
2: Mhm,
0: that's
1: interesting i've you're the first writer that I've spoken with who's felt that way about it, I think, unless they've just humored me <laughs> and secret- well
2: it's just so it's just so telling I was like I don't know just too telling
1: what you think it like I, and, and forgive me, I don't mean to drill down too hard if you don't want to talk about it but i'm it's interesting like do you feel like it's too, it's like telling it's like giving people a map to your work is that what you're saying or?
2: Well, I mean, can you imagine like uh, meeting someone for the first time and they like want to look at your iPod immediately?
1: I always do that with people. In fact, you, you do. No, I don't. But like, I'm kind of nosy and uh, I'm curious about people. And so, here's an example, okay? And this is a this is just from this week, and I felt weird about it ever since then, and have been sort of castigating myself for it. But um, I live in an apartment building, and uh, my office window faces the back of the building and down below is like a little porch area for people who live on the first floor. And there's like some patio furniture out there. And Mm so I'm, I'm like endlessly curious, (laughs) I'm endlessly curious about what people are reading. So if I'm on like an airplane and the person across the aisle from me is reading a book, like I will crane my neck and try to be casual about (laughs) it. I'll like, I'll drop something just so I can see what they're reading. I'm always wanting to know like, what's that person reading? What's like, you know, (laughs) come on. You have really tricky. Is it creepy? I'm just, I just, wanted, yeah. I just want to know what they Just
2: reading. some strangers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't mean it in a creepy way. I'm just genuinely <laughs> interested in what people are reading. So, anyhow,
2: are you, uh, what are you going to do with that information?
1: I just, I guess, I just, I'm, I'm wondering what is uh, interesting to people out there, and I think it also might tell me about something about that person. I don't know. Maybe it's a problem. Yeah. You know, I could be a problem, or I could be admitting a character flaw that I don't necessarily have a, a full grasp on. But um, the point is that this week, uh, like Monday or Tuesday, I uh, woke up in the morning and I was in my office, and it was it was like early. It was like seven thirty in the morning, and I opened my window and I looked down, and there is a, one of my neighbors who is a, a woman, and she is sitting out on her uh, patio furniture couch. Like in like kind of like an Indian style like morning, like with her cup of coffee, you know, like you know how some people do that, and mm-hmm. having having like a quiet reading session to start her day, when I opened my window, it was an intrusion into that uh, quietness which I felt bad for, and yeah. i I sort of like backed away like I had like walked in on her undressing or something, do you know what i 'm saying like it was like an, an invasion yeah. it was an unintentional invasion of privacy, but I then became very fat. <laughs> Very fascinated by what she was reading, so I walked out of my office and I was, you know, talking to my wife and my daughter, and then I went into the bedroom and I we opened the windows in the morning to sort of like ventilate the place, you know, mm-hmm. or that's what I always do. And so I opened another window and like I kind of now the the girl was like down and like to my left. I was farther away from her. I was not directly above her, and so like I, I thought maybe I could get like a look at the cover of her book. <laughs> um, and I stood there in the window. Behind the screen, and I was like, sort of like looking, and she looked up at me and caught me, and I felt like, such...
2: oh no. yeah. and
1: I and then I immediately like ducked back, and uh, and then I felt yeah. and then I felt creepy and awful, and then I, uh, you know, ten minutes later, uh, and I think she was annoyed because then my daughter's voice, it just I, I, we ruined her moment, and so uh, ten minutes later, I was taking my dog out, and uh, you know, to go out, to go uh, out to the the hydrant or whatever in the morning, and. Uh, I'm standing there and who comes out, but her with her dog. And we made like brief eye contact and then she crossed the street to get away from me.
2: <laughs> she probably thought you were a pervert. <laughs> I mean, there's no way she was like, oh, he just wants to know what book I'm reading.
1: <laughs> if she, if she only knew, I'm a, I'm like, I'm a literary, <laughs> I'm a literary podcaster. I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> but I'm just, you know, that's the thing. Like I'm fascinated by people and. You know, what, is she spiritual? Is she getting up in the morning and, like, reading some sort of spiritual text? Or is it just a novel that she's into and it's just a way for her to, like, you know, ease into the day? It's none of my business. Like, what's my problem? You'll never know. Well, maybe I will. if i see her again. I just... And it's impossible, too, when you're opening the window. It's not unnatural to look down. You know, it's not like I made a plan to, like, you know, survey all this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh Are you judging me for this? Like, do you think that... Uh... It's unusual or problematic.
2: No, I think I think it probably happens more than we know, but people just don't usually talk about it. Right.
1: So, and you're not like this. Like, you don't you don't find yourself craning to see what people are reading on airplanes or anything like that.
2: Mm, I mean, sometimes like like if someone's sitting next to me, I'll like read a little bit of it <laughs> if I'm bored or something. But it's usually terrible. I feel like I've never seen anyone read anything good on, on airplanes.
1: Yeah, it's like you know. Well, it's like a lot of. I see. I see a lot of Fifty Shades of Grey. I gotta say, I do see that book. A
2: yeah, lot. like really. I don't even know how. To, yeah, weird stuff.
1: All right. So, um, what about like interacting with? Uh, I mean, I know you don't want to talk about uh, contemporaries that you are a fan of, but what about like? Uh, interacting with literary people online—do you feel like you're a part of any kind of community? Like, is alt lit something that you feel uh, up to or apart from? Um, you know, what's your what is, what is your level of interactivity online with writer people?
2: Mm, I feel like it's very minimal. I don't I don't really have like outlets online that I go to, or I mean, I, I just talk. I have like some writer friends, but that I talk to you about I don't I don't really I don't feel involved in the scene. Kind of.
1: Do you have any disdain for people who get like really hyped up online and do all
2: No, that? no. I I love it. I mean I love like the online communities and I'm I love a lot of the people that are doing stuff online. I just I mean, maybe it's just the shyness. I just don't, like, feel like participating.
1: Yeah, but see, but you're so charming and funny and writing, and, like, I feel like you would be good at it.
2: Yeah. Right? <laughs> I don't know.
1: Okay, and so let me ask you this, because uh, you do seem a little shy and, like, reserved uh, in conversation. Like, if I got to know you better, or, or if we were actually in person, would it be different? Like, do you, um, does, is something about yeah. having, like, a phone call, like, make it even, like, uh, more difficult? Or if, if we were actually interfacing in, in in person, do you think that you would be, uh, you would open up more?
2: Well, if we were in person, there'd probably be something else going on or other people around, and it would be less, <laughs> for sure.
1: You're like, I wouldn't have to focus exclusively on you.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's Kind of like a, you know, an hour long conversation
1: with someone you've never talked to is kind of like a weird, a weird pressure. Yeah. And I, I, I I I, I repeatedly subject myself to it. I find, you know, I guess this goes back to my nosiness or something, or or I like to say curiosity. Like, I don't like, answer me this. Like, do you think that me being interested in you is okay? Like, even though we don't necessarily know each other, like, is there some, is there anything untoward about me asking you these questions?
2: Uh, no, I feel, I mean, I think it's your, it's your job. It's what you're doing. Right. Doing your job, right? I think so. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I, I don't.
1: All right. Thank um, you. Thank you for that confirmation.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I like what you're doing. Okay. I actually listen to your podcast all the time. Oh, you do? Yeah.
1: Okay. That makes me feel good. Uh, all right. Well, I, is there anything else we need to cover? Is there anything else you want to say to the general public before we, uh, we wind this thing up?
2: No, yeah, that's about it.
1: That's it. <laughs> I feel like we're leaving something on the table. I feel like there's something uh, we need to we need to say. Hmm. But I don't know quite what it is. I feel like we're dancing around something big. No? Am hmm. I don't know. My mistaken? What what really happened in Jamaica?
2: Um, everyone went to bed at like nine thirty every night. That's
1: what really happened for real, mm-hmm. uh, It seems like because I saw some pictures, and I thought maybe things were more decadent than that, but not really. Not really, okay, well, that's a disappointment. I wanted some gossip <laughs> uh yeah. Ch- Chelsea, it's been fun talking with you. I hope it was okay. I hope that uh <laughs> hope that you know it wasn't too uh intrusive or weird.
2: No, I'm good. I had
1: fun. You had fun. Yep. All right. Well, uh, thank you, and best of luck to you in your writing and uh, with the next book. I hope that it comes together and uh, congeals. I wish you a congealing creative experience.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much.
1: All right, everybody. There you have it. That is Chelsea Martin. Go get her book. It is called Even Though I Don't Miss You, and it is available now from Short Flight, Long Drive, Books. You can find her online at JerkEthics.com. She's on the Twitter, where her handle is at AngelBaby underscore 2002. And uh, she might be on the Facebook. Is she on the Facebook? Thanks to Kill Rockstars, as usual, for the good music. Be sure to check out KillRockstars.com. And hey, don't forget about that app, the free official Other People app. It is available now for your
0: iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch, or Android device. It is the best and easiest way to listen to this program. New episodes automatically upload to the app. You can download episodes to listen to while you're offline. And you can access uh, premium content and the full archives all via the app. So please go get that if you haven't done it already. The app itself is free.
1: Okay, Uh, I'm in a hurry. Do you hear it in my voice? Can you sense my uh, urgency? I have to get this done. Uh, I have to get out the door. Uh, And yet I want to be a good host. I don't want to rush out and leave you feeling abandoned. Did that go okay? I feel like Chelsea uh, might hate me. (laughs) Or I feel like, not really. I don't really think she hates me, but I just feel like maybe she might be uh, made uncomfortable by the idea of me. Because, you know, it's just like when I talk to shy people on this program... Or when I talk to shy people generally, I think I wind up over talking in a, uh, in a compensatory manner. And then, you know, as far as my neighbor goes, it's not like I'm stalking this woman. It's just, you know, when you're up above and you open a, a window and you glance down and you make uh, accidental eye contact with someone, you automatically seem creepy because you're in a window up above. Like, think about it. If I was, like, on a park bench or I was just sitting in the grass or something, it would be a lot less strange. But when you're up in a window, there's something ominous about that. So now, in the morning, whenever I open my windows, I, you know, I feel scared to look down because I don't want to be the creepy neighbor. I think I'm the creepy neighbor. Please remember that Mozart had blonde hair and that Jeffrey Chaucer was once accused of rape and wound up paying an undisclosed sum to a woman to get her to withdraw her lawsuit. That is it for now. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Thanks to Chelsea Martin. Go get her book. Thank you to Short Flight, Long Drive Press. And uh, go donate to the Mellow Pages Library over at Indiegogo.com. Don't be stingy. You can do this. You have $10. Don't deny it. Just admit it and give the money away. (laughs) How do you like that? Is that rude? Do you like it when I tell you where to spend your money? Uh, Just put your $10 on the ground and back away slowly. It's for a library. And a library is a hard word to say repeatedly. Did you know that? (laughs)